everyone, I'm Evelyn and I'm Lara. We are the host of Once Upon a Niger podcast where we take you down history lane as we break down stories about people, places and events in Nigeria's past and present. That's right, in every episode we will take you on a journey of our own discoveries as we feed our curiosity and connect with our heritage. Join us to figure out how the chronicles of the past can help write tomorrow's tale. Hello, Lara. Hello, Evelyn. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because it's joyous. It's joyous to come and talk and be doing something productive and that has legacy that people can come back to and listen to. So, yeah, I'm smiling. And also, the times we're living in. Honestly. One, this... mu- one, one must laugh. <laughs> if you don't laugh, you're going to cry. So, what yeah. do you do? Yeah, there's, there's, there's political madness all over the globe. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's why I'm Although laughing. Although we talk about Nigeria, I feel like everywhere right now, it's just... No, Britain is, is dealing <laughs> with its own. There's so much sort of drama going on. It's just like, we need to put a revolving door in number 10. Yeah. And just count how many I've prime ministers. Have I've seen, seen that? I've seen that meme. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's been a lot going on in the political side of things. Well, how are you? We've been, we've been away from the podcast for, what, nearly two, well, a while now. A while now. Yeah. Yes, no, things have been good. I've been on holiday. I was living life in Italy, Europe. Check you out. Yeah, I was doing... You were doing tourist. Tourist, yeah. <laughs> Madam tourist. Yeah, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a good summer. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, I also went on holiday to Turkey and just been chilling, really. I mean, I have, well, we're working, so we have jobs. <laughs> so no matter what holiday you go on, it's just like, you have to come back and face reality. But, but we've had a good summer this, we had a good summer this year. Obviously, we're now in autumn. And uh, yeah, just kind of like prepping myself for winter and things, you know, it's getting darker earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot of mental shift yeah. to kind of, like I wake up in the morning to go to the gym and sometimes I'm I wake up as early as five thirty and it's just pitch black and it's just like oh. You wake up at five thirty. Yeah, on the good days. On the good days. <laughs> on the good days. And you no, know, you just have to question your life in those moments. Yeah. Like, do I really, really you know, do I really need to do this? And I think it's in those moments I always fantasise about Africa and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I want to go back home. Yeah. <laughs> but then home's not looking too good at the moment. No. But we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's been it's been an eventful couple of weeks. Yes, yeah, it has been an eventful couple of weeks. And I think to... we Yeah, well, we can speak on that in terms of what we're going to be chatting about for this this podcast yeah this we don't even say that this is season three we're starting afresh this is season three and it's probably because we ended season two on a bit of a (laughs) (laughs) on a bit of an informal yeah because life happens and we were like yeah season two over and we we've got plans for season three which we're going to get into so welcome back welcome back we've survived it's been over a year i wanted to mention this actually in the last pod but it's been over a year now since we started this podcast yeah it has and we've had like how many episodes we've we've been consistent and i think that's really that's really Mm -hmm. a a success because sometimes i see 
especially when it comes to like this area that we're discussing like nigerian politics and history i've seen a few pods i see certain pod episodes and i look into the pod itself and it's like no longer in existence because whoever started it probably had a bit of an enthusiasm about you know they see mm-hmm. the need and they see the value in in you know in talking about things in this area but i guess after a while you might get a bit discouraged if if you don't feel like people are interested but yeah no i've actually been listening to a lot of like podcasts and and people talking about how they make podcasts and and how people are making content maybe on youtube videos as well and how they were making stuff for like two three years and there was like no return and then like on the the third the fourth year it just spiked so we're just at the beginning yeah, I guess we're at the beginning. And and consistency is something I have to keep reminding myself, not just with the podcast, but also with other areas of life. It's just like, be consistent, keep developing. I'm sure next episode, our first episode isn't as good as some of the other episodes we've had. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you're not developing and keep building, then you'll never get better. Yeah. And you never actually know what could potentially happen as a result of what you're doing so as long as you've got the passion which we've got and sometimes it's hard because trying to do this <laughs> trying to do this recordings on friday evenings after work <laughs> yeah yes no no it's not easy but i think we're going to be invigorated especially with this season so this season we're going to be focusing on the elections in nigeria History is being made right now. Our podcast is about what's happened in the past, but like we can still acknowledge what's going on. And this, you know, people will say that every election is the most important election of our generation. I don't know how much you can say that about like Nigeria because Nigeria has been in a dire state for a while. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I guess it still applies here too. It's the most important election. (laughs) You know when you said in every generation is the most important election, it, made me, it reminded me of how every year in the UK is the hottest day <laughs> of the year since 90. And I'm like, every single year is the hottest. It's like there's always one hottest day, one coldest mm-hmm. day. But yeah, um, I, I, I digress. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really, really important time in, in Nigeria's political history at the moment, actually, especially because of what's the landscape in the last eight years and just the, I guess, Nigerians' attitude to governance at the moment, their expectations, you know, even the emergence of new opposition mm. in the parties. So the engagement right now is quite interesting to watch and to observe. Yeah, and impressive, especially, I'm like, I'm really impressed by the fact that, that a new a new political party has emerged, a new candidate that is refreshing, that's engaging, like young people in a way that hasn't happened for a while and i think it makes sense that it's happened especially after you know the 2020 and sars protests and everything so yeah so this season we're going to be talking about who those candidates are we're going to be talking about their campaigns what they're promising what their background is their history and their their activity in nigeria the influence they've had or not had and what's trending like what are the headlines that we're seeing currently and giving you sort of like our our first response 
our ideas. And I mean, listen, we're, we're, we are here in the UK, so we want to hear from you, especially listeners in Nigeria, about what's going on, about what's actually happening on the ground. But we hope, yeah, that this this season will be like informative, give you some insight into what's going on, like get you interested to read further and follow the the election more closely and for yourself. Yeah. Really. This is a this is your entry point. Exactly. It's an entry point into Exactly. And just to kind of go back to the ethos of our podcast and why we started this pod, it's not because we're experts in all things Nigerian politics and history. We're learning for for some of our listeners we're a bit far ahead of you and for some, you know, we're just we're not even there at all. But I think this is an opportunity to kind of get the get the conversation going and have more discussions. And especially for someone who's just at a loss at the moment, who don't really understand what's going on in the political landscape, I think this will form a really good foundation to kind of get you up to speed with who the candidates are, the profiles of these people, and also, yeah, just for you to go and do your own further research. And for those who, you know, are all-knowing or know quite a lot, <laughs> it'll also be a good opportunity for them to engage with us and let us know what they think and, you know, just challenge challenge us as well and also yeah keep us updated on, on things and engage with us so really exciting so who is our first profile for this season yeah so our first profile for the season is actually somebody who is like had extensive experience i say experience put that in in, in quote quote. no obviously it's a very prominent figure i think before we move forward and looking at the candidates of the current election we thought actually let's start like where are we currently or where have we been and so our first profile is actually going to be of current president muhammadu buhari that's Um, right yeah so he has been in power since 2015 Mm -hmm. as president but he's got experience i keep on saying experience yeah it's <laughs> uh, good experience you know whether it's good experience or bad experience <laughs> it's still experience right? no no no, no, no. So... it's still experience it's still experience <laughs> he was you know former military leader of nigeria during nigeria's military rule and that uh, we can get into that but yeah we want to chat about him what's his legacy been is it the real buhari that we're even talking about. <laughs> can, the, can the real Buhari please stand out? Because honestly, I guess to kind of give a bit of a background into President, I almost want to call him General Muhammadu Buhari, but that would... That's how he even wants to govern sometimes. I feel like, yeah, because I almost don't really see any difference between his military regime and, mm. you know, except from the fact that He's in a different, he's operating in a different political space and he's had to get with the terms. But I feel like the way he's handled things is almost reminiscent of his military regime. Mm. So President Buhari has been, he's been in power for the last eight years. But before he became president in 2015, he's Mm. obviously had a stint in, in being in government or being in power in 1983 he became head of state after a coup against the elected government of shiri shagari so for those who have been listening to us and you know if you're a new listener we've had episodes talking about the previous like the military regime in, in season two mm-hmm. uh, in some of our previous episodes and a lot of that we've, we've We've gone over the military regime, the multiple coups that happened. And one of those coups was in the coup in 1980, 
But this wasn't, yeah, it was, I guess it was a coup in a sense because it's a bit odd because it was a democratic government that they overthrew. So it was the elected government of Sheo Shagari. And as is characterized of every sort of military government, they think, oh, corruption. Every government that is in place is corrupt and they think they can do better. So Sheo Shagari's Indian um, government, there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the economic condition and also the military perceived his government to have a lot of corrupt politicians and that led to the coup of December 1983 and Buhari was anonymously chosen was unanimously chosen to be the new head of state so he was head of state from 1983 but Buhari if you ask him and I think from quite a few interviews and just other articles that I've written he really downplays his role in that coup and it was almost like you know the military rulers at the time or the leaders the people who at the power wanted him to they wanted him to govern and so he was he was in power until his own so i guess how you win them is how you lose them basically he came into power for a coup and he was also taken away from power for another coup that happened what were some of the things that people said about his regime at the time well it was quite an authoritarian regime mm -hmm. and i think that's what he's been known for and that's probably even what helped him actually in his campaign in 20 his election in 2015 yeah so during his time as general Muhammadu. yeah his name i was gonna say his name but during his time as general he he was actually quite humiliating I think to be in Nigerians and he, he was known as a disciplinarian and he wanted to root out corruption and that's why he was able to, to get into that position. And the things that he did during that time were in, in my view, really like unnecessary and not helpful to actually getting people to, to love him. And the, and the reason why I say love is because a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with some friends about, actually not even a couple of weeks ago, things in the UK are moving very fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of days ago, I was talking to some friends, the political ideologies of politicians in the UK and how they're failing <laughs> mm. to just follow ba the, the main text of their degree when they're at university. So the UK... Prime Minister, at one point, Chancellor Kwesi Kwarteng, they are ideologues, they are academics, but they don't really know how to run government. And a key text when you study political science is Machiavelli's The Prince. And in Machiavelli's The Prince, it says that it's important to get the people to love you so that they will do what you want. Mm -hmm. And... In regards to to Buhari, during his tenure as as military leader, he he was known to to get civil servants who were late to work. His punishment for lateness was to get into do frog jumps. Frog jumps. <laughs> I mean, what what what? Can you imagine that? Like, like what? grown men and women. That's like so humiliating, so degrading. I mean, and I think that should be classed. I don't even know, but like <laughs> stuff like that is 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 unacceptable, and it doesn't do anything to court favor of the people that you need to run a country that is experiencing such instability. 
And in one hand, you think, okay, it's great that, that you've got this disciplinarian coming in who can, who's thought to be able to bring order. But what's the point of discipline if it doesn't engender loyalty? But you know, the thing is, there are, it depends who you speak to because there are certain people who look back to Buhari's regime with such... Fondness. Fondness, like I would call it. And the the, the idea that a discipline was instilled in that period is one of the reasons why they, they look at him with, with such fondness. So things like, you know, so just to kind of buttress the point you were making about some of the things that he did. So people were ordered to queue while, while waiting for buses... They were watched literally by soldiers who were, you know, who had weeps and stuff if you don't fall in line. And I guess it, it achieved the discipline that it wanted. But at the same time, was that the best means for you to achieve the goal that, that he was looking to achieve? But when you consider, and I think like you mentioned, his ideology at the time... And people's idea of him as a disciplinarian, as someone who was able to get people to fall in line, was one of the factors for his success in 2015. But just to kind of go over some of the other things that he did, apart from obviously him, him making people frog jump and, and queue for buses. So his regime, they had a curb on imports. So like he stopped importation of goods into Nigeria or they curbed it, not a total stop, but they curbed it. And that meant that meant like job losses for people. It meant that certain businesses had to close because they no longer had the means for the items they were selling to come into the country. And also there was the enforcement on, on, on tackling corruption. So so he wanted to tackle corruption and I guess he had his own ways of doing that. But what also happened there was that prices rose, living standards fell and even the military government that put him in power, they got fed up of him. And mm. that was when another coup happened and General Ibrahim Babangida came into came into power and mind you this is like within like a two like year 20 pe- months just less than two years yeah just less than two years he was he was brought into power in 1983 and then he was kicked out <laughs> yeah in in 1985 so i mean yeah pause on that in it i mean yeah. like what 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 does that tell you yeah i guess it was trying to it was trying to promote positive values some would say and he launched this program called the War Against Indiscipline. But I guess the method for the methods for implementing his ideas were not were definitely not the best. But and there's a difference though between discipline and punishment. And so punishing people and humiliating people or, or whatever because they're late. It's like when you weigh things up. It's, it's not a proper response to the larger ideal that you're trying trying to achieve. And I think that was uh, a failure. I guess one could say that, but then on the other hand, you could say if, if that is what it, it was going to take to get people to do... And it's almost... It's a very dicey one because you think, well, these people are not children. They're not like in primary school, secondary school. Why are you mm. disciplining them? But then you would then, on the other side, you say, but yeah, if they're adults, then they should have known what the right things to do are. So it's even simple things like, you know, coming late to work 
or not queuing up for buses and it's just like okay everyone should know what the right thing to do is so if adults are not doing these things I don't know, you know, maybe you should start flogging them and then and get them to get them to fall into line. Yeah, but, and then so that will be a deterrent for for everyone else, you know. Someone know. else might beg to differ. I know we're, we're speaking about a very different time, I suppose. But I yeah. think if if the punishment on the humiliation is not working, then you actually should maybe try the opposite. Try and do something like reward, but... I didn't give him time to find out. He was having <laughs> twenty months. He had no. Yeah. He had no. But I guess he had a very brief stint in, in power, and I guess that brief stint kind of stayed with him, and he felt I must, I must test power again. It wasn't done. Of all the military rulers, he was, you know, he wasn't done, and he wanted more, and he felt that when Nigeria then progressed or transitioned to to the democracy that we have now, he thought. He had more to give and and so he kept he kept running for mm. presidency when he won in 2015 that was his his third attempt or his fourth attempt at running he <laughs> was <laughs> like Listen, some of these, these these candidates, they've run so many times. It's actually very difficult to keep count because you have the same people, and I'm talking outside of Buhari as well, who run for president three times, four times each. And I'm trying to keep count of the number of times. So let me tell you, in 2003, Buhari ran for president. Mm-hmm. He was defeated president Obasanjo mm-hmm. of the People's Democratic Party, known as PDP. Then he ran again in tw- in two thousand and seven, and he was de- defeated by another PDP candidate, Yara Dua, who didn't who died unfortunately within a, f- a year or so mm-hmm. of being in power. And then in twenty eleven, because obviously when Yara Dua died, his vice president became president, which was Jonathan Goodlock. And then in two thousand and eleven again, he ran for you know he ran again, but this time. Again, good luck, Jennifer. So that was three separate times. So this guy waited from 2003 all the way to 2015. And so in 2015, for the fourth time, he said, I'm going to try this. So when I was thinking about it, I thought, it takes a certain type of resilience, determination, mm-hmm. and I guess strong will to go through that process four times and I guess feeling like you've got something to offer and without you as president you know the country is not going to progress so you you must have really felt like he had value that he wanted to add to the country because you just think what's your motivation but I think you know what I'm I, I after your third attempt I'm thinking you should give it up. Just give up, isn't it? I just feel as though the clearly the people or don't want you. I mean, it depends. But if he had given up, he would not be president now, would he? Well, and maybe some people would say that. Well, we would have we would have fared better <laughs> if he was not president. <laughs> some people would even be that would be even better if he actually had not become president, because. You know, in all the all the attempts he's made, he finally got it after four times. You've you've had 
how many goes to really refine your policies, get your team in place, get the best possible people you can find mm-hmm. to make sure that when you eventually do get into this power that you've been seeking, you can actually govern. But it's always easier, even like we're doing, to criticise from the outside. Yeah. And then when you, you get in there, you, you're you struggling. And like under him, and we, we'll get to this, he his policies or his the promises that he made he failed he failed at them and and things have become incredibly incredibly difficult for for many nigerians and so i just think and and it's not just buhari that is guilty of this like so many other like high profile politicians are guilty of like constantly going again and again and in our next episode we'll even talk about another one Another candidate who... That one was even worse. Even worse. I don't actually cannot count. <laughs> I can't count the number of times he ran and the flipping back and forth. I think it was six times. So I think this is his sixth time now. Anyway, yeah. But prizes for, who, for, for guesses of who that candidate is. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, Buhari, you know, I give it up to him for tenacity. He was tenacious and, you know... And I guess he's a some a lesson to teach your children in like never give up. If there was ever a lesson, you know, a, a person to be like, don't give up, you know, on his fourth time. And even so, when he became president in 2015, that was his fourth time, right? Then you would have thought, okay, surely Nigerians would have had enough time to assess his performance and you know make a judgment as to his suitability for presidency again but guess what in 2019 he was re-elected into into power and so he's had eight years to get it right and i guess that's what we're gonna delve into now to think what has the last eight years of president buhari's government meant for nigeria you know good or bad and then yeah we can just look at his legacies and, and other things i think the things that I think of when I think of Buhari's like legacy, I think it's been marked by like extreme Islamist like terrorism, and that's one of the things that he campaigned against. So in in his twenty fourteen twenty fifteen campaign, he said that this is these this is one of the things that I'm going to tackle and I'm going to, like, get rid of. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that Nigeria is a secure country. Yeah. Because in, in 2014, you know, the world, around the world, we came to know that Chibok girls mm-hmm. in northern Nigeria had been had been kidnapped by Boko Haram. And that was under President Goodluck Jonathan. And that was an indictment on, on his presidency. And... Buhari is able to actually, I suppose, like galvanize and take advantage of that and say, can you see the mess that we're in? I'm going to come with my discipline. I'm going to come with my authoritarian yeah. power. And I don't think he's been able to do that. And if anything, many people will think that he's his inaction yeah. is either inaction, incompetency, or, you know, implicit support, actually. Yeah of of powers that be in that region have contributed to an extremely hostile place to live in especially in the north yeah so you've you've touched on the matters of national security and defense which was a massive selling point really that he capitalized on 
during this campaign. And I just want to kind of go delve a bit further into individual promises that he made under that category. So he said he's he, was, he said he was going to urgently address city building mechanisms of law enforcement agents in terms of the quantity of, and, and the quality of them. So in terms of having enough police, you know, policemen, armed forces, all of these different agencies for law enforcement, which I guess would have helped in tackling Boko Haram and other criminal entities that were disrupting the security of Nigeria. He said he was going to establish a well-trained, adequately equipped and goals-driven serious crime squad to combat insurgencies, kidnapping, armed robbery, ethno-religious and communal clashes nationwide. So, yeah, so let's just, so those were like the two, one of the, the two main things really addressing national security. So that last one that I just read, to combat insurgencies, kidnapping, armed robbery, ethno, ethno-religious and communal clashes. I feel like the last eight years in Nigeria has just been one kidnapping after the other, mm. one herdsman attack after the other, even Boko Haram for a very long time. I feel like now I don't really hear much about them and I don't know if that's because they've sort of morphed, they've metamorphosized into like, a different thing so now maybe the the herdsmen attack everywhere maybe that's who they are now but none of these things that he promised to do as far as i'm concerned have been reflected in the current state of security in nigeria and as a matter of fact i feel like it's gotten worse yeah where some people that i know and many people when i've had conversations with them this they're actually scared of going of going to nigeria and visiting nigeria and actually one of my my friend's wife who is white english the other day we were just teasing her about oh you know you should visit nigeria blah blah she's like oh i don't want to get kidnapped and i was like <laughs> and you know i was like you know i couldn't even i couldn't even defend you know because mm. sometimes you try to you know be a good hit for your country but i couldn't do that in that moment because the numbers are there the stories are there and and so yeah so that's just the point in terms of national defense and national security and defense yeah i remember somebody asking me that when i was i said i was going on holiday to, to visit family and i sort of said it you know just casually because well i have family in nigeria so it was a normal thing like i wasn't even thinking about security because insecurity has been so normalized Mm -hmm. so then when somebody was shocked that i was traveling to nigeria and their 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 serious concern on their face like is it safe Mm. i just thought wow this reputation of nigeria is really like in the mud yeah so just we don't want to kind of just talk about there's been a lot of kidnapping there's so many other notable incidents horrible incidents that have happened we've had girls abducted from their schools Mm. you know in yobe states there was one that happened in 2018 where 110 dapchi girls in yobe states were abducted then there was the 344 kankara boys in katsina state in december 2020 then there was the 27 Kagara boys in Niger state and the 300 Changebe girls in Zamfara. So that's just like the abduction of 
students and young children from their schools, from their local communities. And then you've had like uncountable numbers of herdsmen attack, where they're attacking people on their farms, they've attacked churches, they've attacked other religious institutions, even mosques as well, you know, but I know the ones of like farmlands where, you know, they, they called like, they call the Fulani herdsmen, or I think there's another, there's another name for them now. Yeah, the Fulani herdsmen or bandits. And it got to a point where Buhari would say, or oh, unknown, unknown gunmen or unknown, unknown bandits. And it's just like, that's a lie. That's a lie. Exactly. <laughs> and people have felt that because Buhari himself is a Fulani man, I believe, they felt that he's been very partial to the attacks by the Fulani herdsmen and just the attacks generally from people of, who identify with the same ethnic tribe as him. So I'm just going to do a breakdown of the other areas. He made promises in areas of politics and governance. He made promises in terms of agriculture, what he was going to do. He made promises about infrastructure, on the oil and gas industry, on healthcare, which we can also go on about, <laughs> on youth sports and culture, and on the society and human capital development on education. What is your take in, in the area of healthcare? How do you think he has performed in terms of so let me tell you some of the things he promised he was going to do. He said he was going to ban medical tourism. Okay, it was so going to, on that. It was going to increase the number of physicians from 19 per 1,000 population to 50 per 1,000 people. So in just those two areas, because you know people... Because sometimes it's easy to just kind of like talk negative, negative without really... But if we start taking it one by one and we start to dissect what he's promised in this specific areas what do you how would you score him well on the on the medical treatments abroad i don't know uh a b c d f what <laughs> <laughs> on like the terms in terms of his if we're if we're scoring him yeah i would say he's failed i mean he, how can the top dog himself be taking lots of trips abroad particularly to the uk to get medical treatment that's like an indictment on his own his own medical system that he is like responsible for if he can't trust or he, and that's what it seems like it seemed like to me if you're if you're flying abroad to get medical treatment what you're telling me is that you don't trust the the medical expertise in your own country and 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 even and even that it's a mystery as to why he even went abroad to to get medical treatment. But I think yeah on that yeah it was done poorly. And I guess also because you know the, the initial visits that he had abroad again for quite a long time it wasn't quite clear what he was abroad for. Then eventually it transpired that he had gone for he had ear and, ear and nose infection. And that's what and they tell like, us. Yeah. Do you, you well? That's what they they told us. And it's like, are you telling me that there was no medical facility in Nigeria, not even in Asorok, right, where you would think they would have the best and best of everything? Not even in Asorok did you have the facility to to treat and to take care of your ailment that you had. And so he didn't lead by example in that sense and 
also it was just the secrecy surrounding it and i think the lack of transparency because why should we if you're spending public money on your healthcare, which he was the public deserves an explanation if you're going to be away from the country for even for two weeks three weeks four weeks not to speak of months right i think it was it would have been proper and expected and good governance for you to actually inform your citizens mm -hmm. about as to your whereabouts and and what and why of your visit and for me that alone is enough not to have somebody re-elected a president that can disappear for extended periods of time and not speak to the people it it what it tells me is that you have contempt actually for your citizens because they are the ones that voted you in and then not even to speak to them and tell them hey you know what i'm, I'm all right i'm just you know trying yeah. to get treatment yeah like what is that that yeah, yeah that's 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 unacceptable yeah. and then i guess we can also touch on like the idea of having enough physicians for the population so when you when you think at the moment there's a popular term of well there's the brain drain that we we often speak about but there's also now a current balance which is called jackpot and it means to like leave or i don't know you know escape to escape that's right so a lot of nigerians are currently escaping nigeria mm. you know, unfortunately and part of that population and given the idea that other countries are in need of healthcare professionals and other you know and professionals in other areas Nigerians are really taking advantage of these opportunities abroad and what that has meant is that whereas before you came into government there was probably the 19 per 1000 I'll be quite I'm quite curious to know what the number is now it'll probably be like 10 per 1000 so not only has he not achieved what he aimed to do there is an actual reduction in the amount of you know healthcare professionals available to treat nigerians and that's why in the news recently or in the last eight years there's been a lot of like medical negligence cases coming up where people are dying in hospitals it's clear that there's ne medical negligence in those issues there's a lack of regulations for this in the medical institutions and so I would say that, like yourself, he has really failed in healthcare, if we were to mark him on that. I think another area that obviously is a massive area to consider is like his management of the economy and the, the I don't even know, the demise of the Naira. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he was campaigning in 2015, I think he made a promise that I'm going to make the Naira equal to the dollar. Yeah. Which was yeah. once, actually once was the, um, case, the yeah. case. And I think before his election, it was, I think, one dollar to... 200 and something. 200, like 200 plus Naira. And it has skyrocketed. I think during his first tenure, it's like 400 plus Naira, which is just it boggles the mind i mean people are already like living very very difficult lives when it was at the the 200 plus mark and so that's a serious mismanagement that's a, that's a, 
the kind of scandal that is going on in the UK when the, the pound is just spike is dropping, sorry, spiking, I wish, when it is, is dropping to, to parity with mm-hmm. the dollar and mm-hmm. people are outraged and, and shocked. Somebody has made your your currency devalue. Honestly. To that, to, to such a degree, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great failure, an indictment on his legacy, and that's that's what he's gonna be be known for. I think there was a time when people were even even to buy tomato from the market. Yeah, do you remember? I remember I was even people saying I can't I can't buy tomatoes. I remember people started to find more creative ways of making jello fries without tomatoes. There was like you know there was this new recipes on YouTube about how to make jello fries without tomatoes or how to even cook stew without tomatoes, right? So. Just to be specific about what he promised in terms of the economy, he said he was going to make Nigerian economy one of the fastest growing emerging economies in the world with a real GDP growth averaging at least 10 to 12% annually. Now, under President Jonathan, Nigeria's economy was generally kind of known to be one of the largest and fastest growing in Africa, although he's regime also was plagued by a lot of different things it wasn't perfect but at least in terms of economy growth it was perceived to be the fastest growing and then Buhari pledged to kind of come and establish a market-based economy he said it was going to run with a clear sort of definite regulatory framework and effective enforcement mechanism and I remember in 2015 or thereabout maybe 2015-2016 they brought about this program of buy night buy buy nigeria make nigeria so mm-hmm. like the idea that the ideology that they were pushing was to you know support nigeria made products and services because it got so bad where like in nigeria they import toothpick just like things that we can actually make and to support our own economy. So Buhari had this idea of like banning importation of certain things. So there was limitation placed on importations of certain goods. I think even including like rice. Yeah, I think there was a time when Nigeria was spending $5 million buying buying rice, like importing it. Rice, yeah. And you wonder the land of yeah. nigeria like how and why should yeah. that that be happening yeah. yeah yeah and that really affected obviously in the in the in the short term it does have an impact but i think many people were hoping that okay if we stick with this idea over time you know things will kind of even itself out and because sometimes for you to get the change you want you have to suffer the discomfort and you know whatever in that moment but anyway so this has greatly impacted people felt that he didn't really the implementation of that whole importation and stuff was not really done properly or it wasn't staggered as it should have been and so that impacted the dollar it impacted the economy and people and one of the impacts i've seen that is just that people can't even afford to buy the basics like every time in nigeria you're hearing prices of things are tripling doubling you know even four times what they used to be under good luck jonathan's administration and yeah it's a it's a real problem and so there are many things there are many things that we can really talk about about president buhari's regime and whether he is fulfilled what he promised but i think obviously we don't have the time to go over every single 
item but i i would i would like to know what do you think how do you think buhari has changed nigeria I think on the positive side, we have to say, well, it's almost like a two-edged sword, really. On the positive side, he encouraged investment in agriculture and it almost became one of his downfall as well because he was like emphasizing agriculture, agriculture, agriculture. And every Nigerian became a farmer because, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to grow our own food. We're going to grow our own products produce to then make other things and you know but when you had the insecurity with the herdsmen many people fled their farms because the farms were no longer safe mm. the infrastructure was just not there to actually support the efficiency of the produce that they were they were you know they were harvesting and so on the one hand he boosted the agriculture from what it was pre his administration mm -hmm. but then i don't think that his implementation has been the best in terms of the investment that was required to actually achieve the kind of growth and yeah the kind of growth that was required but i, I would say that on the positive side because i don't want it to just be all negative and also I guess one of the things that has been said is that his administration also tried to complete some of the infrastructure projects that were started. So like there was like the, the railway projects that have been somewhat taken further than what they were before he, you know, he came into power. So I know that there's the Ibadan, one of the Ibadan railway project. And I know people who have actually gone on them trains, you know. And how and what's and, their experience and they said, oh, this is good. I've seen them on Instagram. And people have been like really complimentary of, you know, of that mode of transportation. Mm -hmm. Obviously they said, Oh, the Chinese came and they did they they're the ones who kind of sorted out the project and it was when you compare it to modern day sort of train infrastructure it's like okay it probably won't compete with what you'd see in other western countries but for a country that had nothing to having something i guess you know you've got to give it a score and give it a positive score in, on that in that sense so yeah and that's that's all i would say really and i guess that in the initial state there was a slight overcoming of the Boko Haram group in a way but then what those ones just did was they just came back stronger and fought harder and now the government is negotiating with them and, and you know mm. it's just really terrible but i would say infrastructure some areas of infrastructure obviously not everything some areas of infrastructure and also the boosted investment in agriculture to a limited extent has some of his legacies on the positive note <laughs> if he's looking at me like if you say so <laughs> i think i think the way in which buhari has changed nigeria again maybe it's a two-front thing i think his incredible failures actually as as a president has been good for nigeria and that it's been good because it's actually galvanized and got people especially younger people more engaged and more willing to participate in politics or participate in a political conversation and I think sadly when things become so dire and things become so desperate that's when you actually get some sort of resurgence or or galvanization 
of people who are are, are at the brunt of these failures, these the, these bad decisions by his government. So I think he's changed Nigeria in a way that's made made people more concerned. Not even more concerned. Nigerians have always been concerned, but more invested. Yeah, more invested and more willing to take on risk, like personal risk, to create a country, to create a political system that actually works for them. And I think especially after 2020's pandemic and the NSARS movement, you know, I think that's the, it was definitely a precursor to the sort of support that Peter will be one of the candidates for the campaign, the success around that and the higher numbers of younger people actually registering to vote in 2023. So it's sort of, shall we say, a Pyrrhic victory in that you might wonder, was it worth all that heartache and disaster from his government to get to this point? But I think that is a win not for buhari though but for nigerians for nigerians the fact that young people are in nigeria are willing to like fight for their country that is a win and that is very hopeful and so yeah as we we talk more about the election and the other candidates yeah definitely i think just to harp on the point you made about the nsars i think that was definitely the awakening moment for a lot of Nigerian youths and obviously President Buhari's silence during that period was really or should I say was deafening or yeah yeah, do you know what I mean and I think as the leader of a country feigning ignorance because what one of the things he does well is to feign ignorance about a lot of things that are happening so you would hear him in an interview saying oh he was not aware he Mm. didn't know and you just cannot be a president of a country and not know when you have leaders and advisors and all these different people that you've delegated to to kind of keep you informed so yes yeah the hensars is one that i think definitely has change the trajectory of Nigeria's political players in that more younger, a lot of younger people are now participating, they're involved and they really kind of understand how the leader they choose impacts their lives. Because one of the other things we haven't mentioned, which I think is really crucial, and I'm going to make this point really quickly, is the impact that he has made, he's had on education negatively because a lot of Nigerian universities, this year alone, the universities have been out of, they've been on strike. They were on strike for a good eight months. And one of the things that many of the young Nigerians have been saying is, a course that's meant to take you four years, takes you six years, takes you seven years, taking into fact even the whole pandemic where many of them the schools did not have the online facilities like other countries or like the private schools so he has really impacted the young people to the point where they're like taking a step back and they're like i can't be apathetic anymore anymore i need to be involved and even whether peter will be wins or he doesn't win i think it's a wake-up call for the leaders to know that these young people are taking you know they're participating and they can know they they they're gonna hold them accountable yeah but i think for me though i think it's also the legacy of buhari i think on an international scale i think it has really impacted how 
Nigeria's position on on an international scale and how you know I don't know if we we can be referred to as the giants of Africa anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, taking away the the population size just in other areas. I think I don't you know the fact that Twitter's headquarter is in Ghana. Many other things. The fact that with a lack of investment from for like lack of foreign investment has really um been prominent during his regime so yeah i think you know he's going out he's going out next year and about time really about Mm. time about time and it's about time to end (laughs) (laughs) our first episode of season three but um yeah it's been good chatting about this so for our next episode we're going to be talking about uh a candidate who is he's been about the block <laughs> that's one way to put it <laughs> that is one way to put it he's been about the block and he's switched from party to party you know many times so yeah we're gonna speak about Abu Bukar next week mm-hmm. and yeah we need you we want you to tune in yeah we want you to tune in we want you to share this episode we want you to like you know a friend of mine there was like, oh Lara, your podcast and you still do your podcast i was like yeah what do you mean i was like oh i don't see it come up on my thing anymore i was like give me your phone so i took his phone i searched the podcast i favorited it for him so that he knows that you know when new episodes drop he can see that. So, you know, if you if you love what we provide and, you know, our content and stuff, you know, do you give us, uh, is it star ratings on, on Spotify? You know, like, share, subscribe in whatever platform you're listening to. And yeah, engage with us. All right. So thanks for listening to this episode and we'll, we'll see you in, or you'll listen to us in the next one. Ciao. Ciao. So guys, thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. Yep, you can find our episodes on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us on Instagram at Once Upon a Niger. You can also find links to some further reading and information about the episode's topic in the show notes. If you want to encourage, collaborate, or as I like to say, support the ministry, drop us an email at onceuponaniger at gmail.com. Bye for now. Bye.